Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hi, it's David Averin with the Customer Experience Advantage podcast. You know, not since the Great Depression, even the tech bubble bursting 20 years ago, have we collectively faced such economic adversity. Certain sectors continuing to struggle, of course, in discussion of mental health has become front and center for our employees. Well, my guest today is a business author, speaker, and consultant, Steve Gavitorta, and says that we need to think about adversity in a different way, one that can actually drive individual and organizational success. And his book, In Defense of Adversity, does just that. Stick around for a great conversation with Steve Gavitorta. It's David Averin with the Customer Experience Advantage podcast, back in 20 seconds. You're listening to the Customer Experience Advantage podcast with David Averin, featuring candid conversations with some of the most influential leaders in business today. Sit back and listen in, or feel free to watch the video version online. This is the Customer Experience Advantage podcast, and here's David Averin. Hey, it's David Averin. Thanks and welcome to the podcast. Remember, you can always watch the video version of this on my website or on my YouTube channel. But if you're listening to audio, that's great as well. Great having uh, my guest, Steve Gavitorta with me today. I want to talk about, we're going to talk about adversity and how we overcome. This is not touchy-feely. This is business. This is business strategy. But but it has really been a profound issue for organizations. Stress over a lot of different things, of course, uh, whether it's supply chain issues, whether it's the, the great resignation, or as uh, Gary Vaynerchuk calls it, the, the great never applied in the first place, a whole new generation of people. But there's no shortage of stresses. But what's interesting is how company leaders and certainly their teams define that. We hear adversity, we hear stress, we hear a lot about anxiety, certainly with young people. And uh, I want to have that conversation, I want to have a conversation about how we define that and how we use that to leverage it to, uh, to push us forward. Um, and and I've got a lot of examples that I want to talk about as well. First, let me give a quick formal introduction. Steve Gavitorta is the owner of the Steve Gavitorta Group. He specializes in empowering individuals and organizations and identifying, developing, and exceeding performance goals. He's had the privilege of coaching and training thousands of high performers across uh, an array of industries, small business, on the move to Fortune 100 companies. He collaborates with organizations to build foundations, set goals, and <clears throat> eclipse their highest potential. Steve, thanks for being with us here today. My pleasure. Happy to be here. You know what? I, I think it's a great subject to talk about right now because we look at some of the, the functional issues within an organization. And in many ways, even though we don't have a lot of, of control, we have influence. We have people assigned to solving those particular problems. But in the broader sense, we look at what's sort of happening uh, and happened over the last couple of years with, with COVID. Um, in many ways, it was uncharted territory. So even emerging from that is a bit uncharted as well. Talk to us a little bit about, about your background and, and your message and lessons and strategies around overcoming that. Yeah, my background, um, I'm originally from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and I'm not sure if you mentioned the my book, In Defense of Adversity, Turning Your Toughest Challenges 
in your greatest success, which underpins a lot of the discussion today, yep. originated from that little town, uh, some from a little coal mining town in Pennsylvania, filled with immigrant families from all around the world, um, who became doctors, lawyers, businessmen and women, successful um, athletic directors uh, for major college athletics. And just being in that town and looking at the people that came from everywhere across the world, not speaking English, not speaking each other's language, all became these huge successful people. And in analyzing that situation, being from that town, I came to realize the key to the success of the people from that little coal mining town, and in many ways, a lot of Western Pennsylvania was the adversity that they faced. Yeah. That the adversity faced made them who they were. It didn't deter them. And that's kind of the common denominator for the origin of my book. So um, I'm originally from that area, kind of a tough bread, uh, coal mining type, uh, type of guy who believes that adversity is placed in our lives for a reason. And I've used that philosophy uh, in playing sports in my past life and in a 20-year career in corporate America. I spent about 20 years in corporate America with various consumer packaged goods companies and then left cold turkey to start my own business, Steve Gavitorta Group, which I've owned for about 19 years. So through those times, I've had the ability to not only um, learn more about my own experiences with adversity and how to leverage them as a positive, but um, collect information at, with a lot of findings that I can use with my clients to help them look at adversity as an opportunity to grow, transform, and evolve as leaders, as organizations, as sales personnel. It's the adversity that will make you, not break you. And very much on the background of what's been happening the last several years, this whole ability to face, overcome, and learn from adversity, I think is more important than ever. And it can be a point of differentiation for organizations, leaders, teams, um, and individuals as well, too, because we're kind of in strange times. Yeah, we're, we hear that from a lot of, of thought leaders and others. And we see people pulling lessons from, you know, lessons from the cornfield or lessons from different yeah. parts of people who grew up during really tough times. There, there's a there's a video going around right now on, on YouTube and TikTok and others about somebody doing things saying, I drove this and my my father drove this and 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 to the point where they're driving a Cadillac. And he says, but my kid's going to drive, you know, their kids are going to drive, you know, Toyotas or whatever else, because yeah, yeah. soft times create soft leaders. Now that makes yeah. us sound old, right? You yeah. know, get off my lawn. Um, but, you know, in our day, that's where success came from. It came from overcoming right. something. I love the line that says, um, experience comes from bad decisions and good decisions come from experience. Experience. And, right. and that that's whole right. generation of helicopter parents and others as well are robbing kids of the adversity to overcome. So, so no talk doubt. about talk about some of the uh, the lessons in the book that, and you're you're welcome to equate it back to sort of that time in Pennsylvania and growing up, but um, that 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 wherewithal and the resilience comes from successfully overcoming something. That's right. That's right. In my book, I talk, there's several, I thank you for upfront stating that this discussion is not touchy feely because it is fact-based research right. built on science, built on a behavioral assessment that I use. I interviewed over 60 high, highly successful leaders to pull together the information in this book. 
And the last pillar is around what's, what's known as brain functionality. I talk about two important parts of our brain, uh, the limbic system and the cortex. The limbic system is what we're born with. It's known as our emotional brain. The right. limbic system does not grow, transform, or evolve through time. It's, it stays the same as it is. And when we are functioning in that underdeveloped limbic state, our, our responses to adverse situations, whether it's a business environment or a personal environment, is going to be emotional, freeze, fight, or flight, or some combination of those three. So as you can imagine, as you're going through an adverse situation, you don't want to be in that frame of mind, freeze, fight, or flight, or you're not going to be productive. The other part of the brain is known as the cortex. The cortex does grow, transform, and evolve through time, through our experience, through our training and development, things that you and I do, David, for our clients, through our education system, and through our life experiences. That's how our cortex develops. When we're functioning in the cortex, our response to adverse situations is going to be rational, reasoned, logical. If we're functioning in a cortex, even if we're facing an adverse situation we've never faced before, we will look at that situation in a learning light. What can I learn from this? What steps can I take? Rather than panicking, if that makes sense. Yeah, so, well, look, I was going to say, but let's, let's equate it to where we are today. Yeah. Um, coming out of a time that was uh, unprecedented, right? We do, and how much was out of our control? I mean, I, we, we've got a business, you and I, we make our living in front of the room, traveling, working with clients, speaking, and that largely went away. At least the traditional way that we have done it has gone yeah. away. But for organizations as their people and their leaders are facing uncertain times, how do we move to that different part of the brain when we are in in survival mode, when we want to keep our people employed, we, we don't know what's coming around the corner. Well, first of all, you know, I tell people, I connect this all to building your emotional intelligence. I'm sure you've, you and sure, of course. have heard of e EQ before. The three parts of EQ I focus on in the book is uh, the three elements are intrapersonal skills. That's self-knowledge, um, knowledge about how you behave, how you communicate, how you deal with, how you make decisions how you're motivated, how you deal with change, risk, and conflict, how you deal with adversity. So the more I can understand this in myself, the more successful I'm going to be in all this turmoil. If I'm kind of oblivious to the fact that I get easily frustrated or I get easily angered, then I'm going to fall into that phase, that mode. But if I can help grow my emotional intelligence and be more self-aware, that's the first shot across the bow. The second part of that is interpersonal skills. How well do I understand these behavioral, same behavioral dynamics that I need to know about myself in people with whom I'm engaging with, whether I'm leading my employees, how are they responding to this time, or how I'm engaging with my customers? How are they functioning during all this turmoil? So if I can understand myself, I can read the dynamics of the people I engage with, I can in turn better manage them as a leader, as a business owner. And the last part of that is adaptability. How do I and we as a team organization function under change, adversity, when problems arise, when there's uh, 
conflict. So the more self-knowledge I can have about this, the more successful I will be during these times. I firmly believe the raising of emotional intelligence, the ability to think clearly, solve problems, resolve conflict, think creatively during these times is a point of differentiation for leaders and organizations because they're going to be the ones and it's all this turmoil going to, that's going on to be able to see things clear, uh, solve problems within our organization or with our clients as well too. Listen, it's not just people, people within organizations, our customers, our clients, you know, are trying to make top line sales or trying to be profitable. They're trying to grow their business. Absolutely. They're in ter turmoil. If I, my company or me as a leader, as a salesperson, a biz dev person, a marketer can help my customers sleep at night, solve problems, identify opportunities while all this turmoil goes, is going on, then I am going to create a point of different differentiation in the eyes of my customer about me, my product, and my service. What Does I really love about that, yeah, what I love about it is it's not yeah. even just acknowledging, and I, within the organization uh, is important as well. How, how do we respond to adversity? How are our people? How are we recognizing those behaviors in ourselves and them? But I love the way you talk about it. It's really important that we're also very conscious of what our customers and clients are going through so that yeah. we can support them, so that we can, um, in some ways, and it's, there's sort of a negative connotation to the term placate in situations where it's out of all of our control, whether it's a supply yeah. chain issue or something else. Um, how do you help them come to that, that self-recognition? They're like, oh, this is happening again, and this is the yeah. way I do it. But from, from a customer perspective, to, yeah, to, there's a couple to have that empathy to recognize why they're behaving or reacting the way they are. Yeah, there's a couple avenues I want to take here. One, building on that cortex part of our brain. You know, I talk about, I'm not, that's, this is why I'm in this world, this business we're in, this industry we're in, about developing self-help, creating fundamental skills, because that builds the cortex part of the brain. And that's what I consider when I go into my clients, I'm not just doing a workshop or speaking to them. I'm giving them skill sets and experiences to function in real world dynamics. Right. Hypothetically saying, if, if uh, I'm a salesperson and I've never been taught, and I've seen this in, in uh, work with in my past life in corporate America and when I do ride with with my current clients, when a customer, if someone's not taught how to deal with the, uh, objections, let's say, and a customer gives me an objection or gives this person an objection and they don't know how to handle that, they either punch back they're defensive about it, or they get all nervous. They start sweating. They 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 get they fall into that limbic system because they don't know the skills on how to handle it, an objection. So part of laying those foundational skills down is a way to develop the cortex and help you function, make better decisions. On oh, I've heard it. I've heard an objection from my customer. Here's how I handle it. We've dealt with this particular situation in the past. Here's how we handle that again. So those experiences that are created that we can fall back on is the number one thing. Number two, what I do is I connect the dots between cortex-based thinking and the four behavior styles of the DISC behavioral assessment. Are you familiar right. with DISC? Of course, of course, yeah. So you can, it doesn't have to be DISC. It could be Myers-Briggs. I just happen to use DISC the most. But what I talk about is when people are in that limbic state of mind, they're, they're suffering from freeze, fight, or flight. 
Right. I've connected the dots between the four disc behavior styles and when people are in that emotional state of freeze, fight, or flight, which disc style are they in? So if I'm a dominant style, I'm typically, if I'm in a limbic state, I'm a fighter. I'm going to get angry. I'm going to get trust, push back. I'm going to take control. If I'm influencer style disc, I'm going to be a flighter. I'm going to act like the problem doesn't exist. Life's good. If I'm a steadiness style, I'm a freezer. I'm going to clam up. I'm going to shut up. I'm not going to, I'm going to internalize things. And if I'm a compliance style, I'm going to either freeze or fight. So what I do is I help my clients internally and as they're dealing with external customers is to one, understand their emotional triggers. What are those people or things that can set them into that emotional state? And what is their response when they are in it? So they can recognize, be more aware of this person, these things are personal triggers for me. You asked about the definition of adversity. The definition of adversity varies with each individual. A big change could be an exciting thing for one person. A massive change can be a frustrating event Absolutely. for another person. A very direct, straightforward, yeller and screamer person may motivate one person. It may frustrate another. So what I do is help people recognize themselves. What are triggers in my responses? So I'm more aware of when these type of events happen, I have to be more cognizant so I don't allow myself to fall into an emotional state. Then I fall back and help people understand, make wiser decisions, solve problems based on the event that's happening by applying various skill training, whether it's handling objections, whether it's uh, 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 proactive decision-making, whether it's resolving problem, minimizing conflict, things of that nature. So is that, is that answering your question? Absolutely. But here's what brings up a really, I think, a unique problem that we have not seen in corporate America and small business America in the past, which is employees, your people, their definition of their own personal situation, their state, as it conflicts with organizational policy. And here's what I mean. Here's yeah. an example. Just because I have, I have millennial kids. And so much of the language around anxiety, and, and we're really struggling with some of the things that they're dealing with. And they're all sort of in the process of launching into the world right now. We're new empty nesters. And we yeah. got five kids, grown and gone. Doesn't mean they're <laughs> off the payroll, but at least they're out of the house. <laughs> yeah. But the things that they're dealing with, we kind of look at each other sometimes, my wife and I, and saying, where is, where is the resilience? What did we do? And here's, yeah. let me sort of show you how it, how it manifests more specifically. And I would love your thoughts on this. So... When there's a very difficult situation, um, and we see this with others as well, I'm not just talking about my kids, where they're saying, I couldn't, um, I had anxiety about it. Well, and yeah. the company's like, well, you can recognize where you are, but this is our policy. You said, I couldn't come in because I had anxiety or something else. And so when we hear the word over and over again, we try and remind them, sometimes it's just stress and stress yeah. isn't a bad thing. If I know I've got a, a, a tough month coming up or I've got a tough conversation with one of my employees, that's stressful. But it doesn't mean I get a, I get a bow out because I have self-identified as anxiety. And this is a generational thing. That's, that's a right. real challenge yeah. in the workplace. And we hear this a lot. One of my colleagues, Eric Chester, speaks a lot and works with organizations on that emerging workforce and that sort of disconnect between how they see the world. Talk to us about, about uh, stress and anxiety and adversity and how that language um, is affecting some some of the behavior yeah. and saying it's yeah. well, I couldn't 
because I had I had anxiety. Well, well you yeah. still have to. You're an employee. Yeah, yeah. Well, going back to the cortex and limbic system. So that this is one reason why I'm not a believer. I'm adamant against participation trophies. You know what that is, right? Absolutely. <laughs> so, and I think that leads to some of the issues you're talking about now. You know, when you learn, when you win, you learn what it took to win. When you fail, you if you don't learn a lesson from it, you're going to eventually fail again. Right. Or so, even fail to win. Not everybody gets first place. That's right. It's not that's a bad right. thing. That's right. And what lessons do you learn why you did not win or why what you need to do differently next time? I played up 12 years of organized football. We played our games on Friday nights. Monday, what did we do? We watched film. Right. The film was about watching what you did and learning valuable lessons about what you did that was well, what you did that wasn't so well, so you can make those changes for the next game. So that's where I try to instill in people that every event in life is a learning experience, whether it's good and especially bad. I think we learn our greatest lessons from sure. those adverse times. So I think in many ways, you said it earlier about our society. I don't want to, I don't want to paraphrase, but it's a softer society or something. Right. You know, I think there's a downside to prosperity because my, the people from my hometown who came here with nothing, not speaking English or each other's language, they didn't have a penny. They did they had families. They were living in little tenement houses. Same, same here. Yet, same here. Yet they survived. They, they worked hard. They struggled. Yet they learned valuable lessons. They were resilient. And in my opinion, that adversity, the, the need to have to succeed, grew their cortex brain, so to speak, their life experiences that bode well for them later in life. And I think some of the younger folks today are through, through helicopter parenting, through um, participation trophies, through just having maybe an easier life because we are more prosperous has limited the development of their cortex, if that makes sense. I think there's oh, a completely, tendency completely. to be in that limit. You know, you look at Randy Gage was talking about the media, doom and gloom and, and politicians doom and gloom. I think they like that because it keeps, if you're in that limbic state of mind, you're perpetually going to be frightened. You're perpetually going to be angry, which isn't a good thing, but you're more malleable when you're like that too. You know, because if you're angry, you're, you could be more motivated. If you're uh, 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 worried, you could be possibly more motivated. But I think it's about we've not helped kids develop. I think they're maturing later because they're not developing their right. cortex. Well, and, it, and, it's, it's, and it's being shifted to the employer to deal with that mindset. Um, but it also brings me back this whole idea back um, to uh, of sort of learning that resiliency. <clears throat> Gladwell talked about that in Outliers, right? And talked about those um, largely Jewish working in the garment district in the 1920s and 30s are the ones who parented the people who end up becoming the tech moguls and yeah. everything else because of that mindset back at home as well. That's right. Let's, but let's talk about so this, and, and I don't want to turn this into complaining about the younger generation because there's so many <laughs> benefits to what them, but, oh, but this is exactly what, what my clients and others are dealing with, which is, um, as we go back to the, the title of the book in defense of adversity, turning your toughest challenges into your greatest success. Once again, we're talking here to Steve, um, 
I'm going to get your last name right. Pronounce it right for me. <laughs> Gavatorta. 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 Um, Steve Gavatorta. <laughs> you can look him up online. We'll put that in the show notes as well. Um, but when we talk about adversity, how do managers and leaders to get today, without necessarily getting into the terminology of, of limbic and all of that as well, um, how do they help their younger people redefine adversity in their minds so that they are trainable instead of as a fallback excuse while well, I had anxiety. Yeah. So we still have to function I, in the world. Right. I do want to go back to one thing about corporate America. Back sure. when I came out of college, I started working consumer packaged goods immediately. That industry, consumer packaged goods, corporate America was known for training and development. I'm not right. just talking about how to use something, but we were taught selling skills. We were taught managerial effectiveness. We were taught how to handle objections. We were taught certain processes for success. That has, I don't want to say all but disappeared, but it's not as pronounced as it used to be. Right. This is why I left corporate America, David. I, I spent 20 years in corporate America from a very good training background training company. As my career progressed in corporate America, consultants would come in and do workshops and myself and my colleagues would say this person these skills aren't relevant this right. person does not understand our business this is a waste of time i started asking myself what does this person make because i think i could do a hell of a better job of this because helping people succeed is about not only providing them skill sets relevant to a given job but putting them in environments where they can practice these skills in world world environments. So role plays, uh, case studies, things of that nature to practice a skill set in a real world. So going back to that, bringing it to today, I think it's going back to good old training of soft skills and putting people in real world environments. So they're practicing these soft skills in real world situations where someone can critique them, someone can coach them, something can, someone can help develop them. It is about investing in the people not just putting some touchy-feely thing together, but give right. them practical skills on how to resolve conflict, how to deal with a difficult customer. You know, you hear today, people don't like to be critiqued. What are you going to do when, a, when a, a key decision maker rings Welcome you Welcome to the world. One? Yeah. I mean, not everybody's yeah. going to affirm you like your parents did. Um, yeah. but, but the other thing is, it's, it's important that we, uh, we keep that updated. I mean, you could, you could have training that, that lasted through the 40s, 50s, and maybe even the 60s, and it stayed fairly constant. Today, the yeah. world is changing significantly. And what worked six, seven years ago That's is right. in many ways different than today. So I, I, you and I are on the same page that not only is it important to train, but you have to keep that updated. We look at how many changes occurred because of the pandemic, Right. In many ways, it accelerated what had long been predicted That's about right. how we're going to do business. Right. But what we taught, uh, a portion of what we taught four or five years ago is no longer relevant. When my first That's book right. came out, uh, which is uh, It's Not Who You Know, It's Who Knows You, the I had a whole chapter on MySpace. I mean, and, and that wasn't yeah. that long ago. And so yeah. when I updated yeah. it, I, that whole chapter went away because it no longer right. was relevant. Here's where I would go with that. You know, I think some skill sets have remained fairly constant. They sure. still are relevant. Sure. I think what you do is when you teach skill sets, you, uh, you throw those skill sets into real world environments. Again, case studies, role plays, relevant to what's going on sure. today. 
So in that, what that does, it develops your core. I'm going back to the cortex. You're it develops right. okay. your cortex yeah. in two ways. One, you're learning a skill set for success. That, that builds my cortex. Number two, you're applying it to a world that is relevant to me. That digs that, 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 digs that root deeper because I'm learning a skill, but I'm seeing how it, I'm experiencing how it is, applies to me. So hypothetically saying, let's say, you know, I'm teaching basic consultative selling skills. The skills may be the same for a pharmaceutical client or a, or a door distributor or a tools manufacturer. But the way we might develop the experiential learning would vary greatly in all three of those because sure. the way they engage the customer, the objections that they're hearing or the experiencing experience that they're going through is going to be vastly different. So it's, it's learning the skill, but practicing them, giving as much experiential ex experiences as you can yeah, that makes sense. To, to make that take that route. You know what? I do martial arts. I do something called Muay Thai, which is a form of kickboxing. Sure. And where I learned this brain functionality from was one of my former kickboxing coaches. And what he talks about is you look, first you teach fighters basic skills over and over and over again, how to throw a punch properly, how to kick properly. You really instill those fundamentals. Then the experience, so you're building skills on how to do something right. Then you put that experience in, experiential situation together by having that person spar with someone else in a real world environment to learn what it's like someone throwing a punch at you or what you need to do to dodge, you know, kicks and punches, then he'll even add putting an eye patch on a fighter to give them the experience of if you're in a fight and you have your eye swells, you can't see things clearly when it does actually happen. If it does, you've experienced that already. Right. Does that make sense? It makes so a lot I, of sense. I apply that both to my training and development too. So going back to your point about things now, you know, I think, there are skill sets in the experiential learnings, but I think the experiential learnings need, needs to be more around making good decisions, solving problems, not getting upset about them, minimizing conflict instead of being afraid of being offended right. by someone, um, dealing with change. So they're more less less about maybe handling objections and practicing role plays in it. It's more about learning how to make wise decisions or solve problems or deal right. with a difficult person. And, and we can manner. deal with it. We can deal with it in a situation if we've done it before. The first time is yeah. that's when you go, oh, I should have said this. If you, through exactly. training and others, if you have a chance to do it. But I think within the context, here's what's interesting for me. And, and this is what sort of brings it up with, with the things that you said is that we talk about adversity and, and, and doing it experientially and, and training but it's not just, it's, it's within the context of how the person reacts and being self-aware, but it's also, there's an inner, interpersonal dynamic with the person that they're, they're dealing with, whether it's internally or externally, but also overarching within the context of what's different today than 10 years ago. Why is the yeah. person reacting that way today? And so that's why I think, I think being aware of all of this uh, is really important because it's, it, it is complicated. And it isn't touchy feely, um, and, and it's different. Everybody's different. Yeah. The interactions are all different. The people you're dealing with different, and the times are different. That's why yeah. I think being cognizant of this is so important today. 
Absolutely. And I think, you know, leaders need to be more coach-like now, for lack of better words, because sure. the the um, the tight D and disc styles, the dominant person, the yeller and screamer, whether it's an athletic team, whether it's a business, people don't respond to that. Any, not that everybody did in the past. I didn't. I know I did in the past, but even more so now, people don't respond to that. So teaching leaders about coaching skills you know, having dialogues with their people. And again, being effective at connecting the dots between what happened, what you were taught, and what can we learn from it. My first job out of college, we I called on grocery stores, schlepping toothpaste. You know, so I sold Oxford's toothpaste to grocery stores. We had to make nine calls a day. We had a 10-step call procedure. We were taught how to handle objections and we were taught a four part presentation that we had to deliver every call. So we would do that every day. Every month, a manager, our manager would work with us. We would go in nine stores a day. That manager would not say a word during, he, would, he or she just would observe us. We would come out, whether we go back in the car, whether we was succeeded or failed, they would help us in there, they let it happen whether we succeeded or fail, the manager would say, tell me about the call. And you would walk through yeah. the 10 step call, the four part pitch. And, and, and it was a way to re-anchor me or a salesperson into what you had learned for success and how it delivered that, whether it was success or failure in that store. And typically if we didn't get the sale, well, we missed one of the 10 steps or we skipped that step or we didn't have the objection right. So it was always a learning for us. And, and that by the end of two years, I was ready to be promoted into a higher level position because I mastered the skills through real world experiences. And, that and I through overcoming adversity. Through overcoming adversity. Yeah, I, I you know, the, the, the sales close was 30%, 40%. wasn't like it was easy. You know, so you learn from those experiences and whatnot. And that's what I keep saying. Adversity, uh, uh, difficulties, that's where we truly grow and flourish. We shield ourselves from this. We're not going to evolve into the people we were meant to become. I mean, look at all the most successful people, whether it's Abraham Lincoln or Oprah Winfrey or, or whomever, that had great How many times were they life. not successful? Right. And did More they collapse so under the, did they collapse under the pressure or did they learn something and move forward? Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's important. Yeah. Um, great conversation. Steve Gavitore, if Thank people you. want to get in touch with you and learn about how to work with you or your, your book in defense of adversity, how do they get in touch with you? Um, you can go to my website, www.gavitorta.com. It's a long one. Uh, G-A-V-A-T-O-R-T-A.com. Feel free to Google me. Feel free to go to that website. All my contact information is there. Good. We'll have that in the show notes as well. Um, thank you. Stick with us. We will uh, we'll talk on the other side of this interview. So hold tight for a second. Um, you can uh, tell everybody you can pick up a copy of, of my book, which I grab here real quickly. My new book is called The Morning Huddle, Powerful Customer Experience Conversations to Wake You Up and Shake You Up and win more business. Of course, all of my books that are strategically located next to my head here on the video version are available on Amazon, most of them in audio and some of them in multiple languages as well. Be sure to uh, um, click to like this podcast, subscribe, leave your comments below, and you can click the little bell icon to receive notifications of new episodes. 
And you can learn more about my keynote speaking consulting at davidaveron.com. Thanks for tuning in. Be sure to uh, leave a comment. That's important. And a big thanks to my guest, Steve Gavitorta. I'm David Averin. Be good. This has been the Customer Experience Advantage Podcast with David Averin. Feel free to leave a comment and be sure to hit the thumbs up button. You can listen to past episodes and be notified of future ones by subscribing on your favorite podcast platform. David's popular marketing and customer experience books are available in print as well as Kindle and audiobook and published in multiple languages around the world. You can stay connected and learn more at davidaverin.com. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.